This podcast series is brought to you by Hyundai. Hyundai is building a better world for tomorrow by aiming to neutralize CO2 emissions at all stages of production and operation. Hyundai is working toward carbon neutrality by 2045. Learn more at HyundaiUSA.com. One of the big things you see is you, you have these very influential companies like Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis who have been very outward and open and transparent with their objectives as it relates to being a carbon-free company. They're moving to developing carbon-free products, but they're not stopping there. They want the entire value chain of activities being carbon-free as well, which includes how they power their buildings. According to EnergyStar.gov, a large auto assembly plant uses a lot of power, pushing close to 200,000 megawatts a year. That's enough to power a small town. Producing enough of their own power to supply a facility like that, well, good luck. That's why more and more automakers and suppliers are turning to utility companies to help them along their path to carbon reduction. And utilities across the country are moving quickly to try to meet that demand. People I feel are seeing climate change appear, right? We're seeing a lot more situations from an environment standpoint, from a weather standpoint, that people are attributing to climate change. And they're not just observing it and understanding what it is. They're pivoting to more of an action-based mindset where they want to do something about it. So what that means, right, from an electric usage standpoint, how do I decarbonize my usage on site? And that's why they would enroll in a program like a migraine power. We'll get to that program in a bit. First, I've been saying this a lot lately. You could think of utilities as tier one automotive suppliers now, but then smarter people than I give me this look and say, well, yeah, they have been pretty much as long as there's been an auto industry. Come on, Jake. So I've tried to fine tune that a bit by saying, utilities are now becoming some of the most important suppliers to the automotive industry in this age of electrification and carbon neutrality. And that one seems to hit the mark. I think the relationship between any electric utility or energy company and automotive companies in their area, it's definitely evolving and it's going to be a lot more tightly intertwined. This is Driving to Zero, the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. And on this episode, the increasingly critical role of utilities. I'm Jake Neer with Automotive News. So, Brian, before we uh, go any farther, if you could say your name and your position and where we are. Sure. Uh, name Brian Kelka. Uh, I'm vice president of renewable energy at DTE Energy, and we are at the Lapeer Solar Park. DTE Energy is the primary provider of electricity for Detroit and surrounding areas in southeast Michigan. This site that Jamie and I are visiting today is vast, 250 acres, and there are 200,000 solar panels here pumping electricity into the grid, 50 megawatts to be exact, enough electricity to power 11,000 homes, according to DTE. But Brian says this is small compared to the solar sites DTE is building now. A typical project that we're developing today is around 150 to 200 megawatts. So it's even three to four times larger than what we're seeing here today. But when you take that 
in context as to as compared to what we want to achieve if you take a 200 megawatt project we need to develop 75 of those 75 200 megawatt projects to hit that 15,000 megawatt objective by 2042 which is what we've stated right now so it's important it's impactful but it really is a small microcosm relative to what we want to achieve over the long run. Brian says DTE has enough projects in the pipeline to hit its targets. And one of the reasons it's building out so much right now is because automakers here in and around Detroit are asking them to help hit their own clean energy targets. Last year, DTE and Ford signed what the companies say is the largest renewable energy purchase from a utility in U.S. history. Under that agreement, DTE will add 650 megawatts of new solar energy capacity in Michigan for Ford by 2025. DTE also has a similar deal with Stellantis for 400 megawatts, and it has another agreement with General Motors for 300 megawatts. So we own the largest, second largest, and third largest transactions with the utility in U.S. history. So we're pretty pumped as a company to be part of those types of transactions. These kinds of deals require a lot of investment, time, and a lot of land. If you look at Stellantis as an example, the, their contract, the enrollment to attribute 100% of their Southeast Michigan load to a renewable energy project, that requires about 400 megawatts of solar projects. So 4,000 acres of land, 400 megawatts of projects. Remember that program that Brian mentioned at the beginning, My Green Power? That's the DTE program automakers and suppliers in Michigan are participating in to show their efforts to help decarbonize the grid. The program, what it allows is any customer, whether you're a residential customer living in a house, an apartment, a small business customer, restaurant, yoga studio, bike shop, what have you, or even the largest customers we have in our service territory, the likes of Ford, General Motors, Stellantis, etc. It allows those customers to attribute whatever percentage of their electric uh, usage towards renewable energy projects here in the state of Michigan. And then DT goes out and constructs those projects and they're able to state that they are whatever percent green they want to be based on their decarbonization objectives or their budgetary uh, objectives as well. My Green Power customers, including the Detroit Three, get certificates from the program that serve as proof of their participation and their usage of this amount of power. So when DTE evaluates Ford, for example... Over the course of the year, we will compute how much load Ford has used at their facilities and we will retire renewable energy certificates that match what their load was so they can state that X percent of their usage was tied to renewable energy projects. So they're perfectly able to state they're hitting their decarbonization uh, objectives through that type of a mechanism without having the electrons flowing directly into their plants. Okay, so here's where we get into an important thing to understand about a program like this. As Brian said there, Ford is not directly buying electricity that comes straight from these solar fields or wind farms. There's no guarantee that an electron from a My Green Power project ends up at Ford's assembly plants. 
It's a certification that DTE is producing a certain amount of green energy equivalent to the amount of energy that automaker customers such as Ford are consuming through the program. Sound a lot like an offset? Well, Ford quibbles with that characterization. More on that later. But Brian says that this is the most practical way to approach decarbonizing plants. Take Ford's Dearborn truck plant, for example. You could not find enough land in and around the Dearborn truck plant to actually build out a solar park and have it wired or cabled directly into the switch gear at the plant. It's impossible. And that's what you see with a lot of these facilities. You simply cannot construct these projects nearby. So the best option for them is to do exactly what they're doing. Let DTE or DTE's partners go out and build the most cost-effective projects that we can build. Is there any, you know, risk or, you know, can you, that you would not be able to fulfill your commitments? What happens if you bump up against that where there's just too much demand that you've tried to supply and nature keeps you from, from doing it? Uh, nature's a funny thing. Yeah, you surely can't rely on it. The good days, the bad days, it's, it's really uh, an evolving area for us. And I think it speaks to this balanced portfolio that we need. We will never be a company who solely relies on wind and solar energy as the sole generating source for our customers because you are really, really putting your customer reliability at risk. So right now, DTE's energy mix includes 15% renewable sources such as solar and wind, 20% nuclear, 20% natural gas, and the rest is coal, about 45%. In the not-so-distant future, though, Brian says it'll look a lot different. Renewables will continue to ramp up quickly. He says nuclear will stick around. He thinks hydrogen will play a role, although it's not yet clear what that'll look like. And he says there will still be a natural gas plant or two there when DTE needs an immediate baseline source of energy. He also says battery storage of renewable energy will also play an increasingly large role. He says DTE will have a couple thousand megawatts worth of batteries that will be part of the portfolio in due time. Although it'll probably be a couple years before the first utility-scale batteries are on the grid. What won't be in the mix? Coal. By the end of 2032, we will be completely out of the coal business. He says DTE Energy has a goal to be net zero by 2050, which mirrors many automakers and their suppliers. So how important are these deals with utilities to automakers today? Consider this. There's been a frenzy of investment lately in new manufacturing, especially battery plants, that has only accelerated with incentives in the Inflation Reduction Act last year. These days, Brian says DTE is becoming a key player in talks with companies who are looking at Michigan as a possible location for their new facilities. A lot of states are competing for these big businesses, right? whether they're batteries or whether they're hydrogen facilities. And one of the desired attributes for any of these facilities and where they locate ultimately is based on can they decarbonize their footprint? and what can the local energy company do for them as it relates to decarbonizing their footprint. So my team probably receives one to two requests a week from our economic development team at DTE stating Project X 
This customer's coming in, they are looking for a 100 megawatt solar array that they can use to state that they are decarbonizing their generation or their, their, their load at their facility. And then we would respond to that and, and position ourselves as yes, we are uh, somebody who can support that aspiration. So yes, we are. That is, that is almost part of the standard package of requests from any company looking to locate is what renewable energy resources and programs do you have um, that they can utilize to decarbonize um, their footprint. There's another key role for utilities in this story as well. As automakers race toward an all-electric future, the question keeps coming up. Can the grid handle all of those EVs? That's even become a go-to talking point of EV skeptics. But utilities aren't just sitting around twiddling their thumbs waiting to see what happens when those electric cars and trucks hit the road. Many, if not most of them, have entire units dedicated to modernizing their corner of the grid for this inevitable future. And Brian says DTE is among those companies working hard to make sure it's ready. The average load from an electric vehicle charging at home over the course of a year is about half, 50% of what the average home uses over the course of a year. Okay, so when you start adding tens of thousands of those vehicles across the service territory that we, that we run and operate in, it's gonna be a significant um, amount of load that's added to the wires, to the transformers, to just the base infrastructure we have. So DTE, we, we know what's coming. Uh, we have a lot of really smart engineers who are looking at the grid and understanding where could we potentially have to start changing out infrastructure to support this. Now, mind you, we've run some base models to say that if we had a 20%, 25% adoption rate of electric vehicles in Southeast Michigan, by and large, the grid we have right now can handle it. Really no significant upgrades needed. Once you get past that number, that's when you're starting to look at changing out transformers, possibly replacing wire to get um, higher capacity wire, maybe getting to a point if you have pockets of really dense concentration of electric vehicles, putting in substations, right? That type of work. But it's really premature to predict where these pockets of adoption for electric vehicles are gonna be placed in, but we're ready and we're constantly monitoring where it's at. One key question though, is who pays for those grid improvements like new substations? That might be a question for another podcast, but it is one that's worth noting. So Jamie, we had this really interesting tour of DTE's Lapeer Solar Park. Uh, what were your big takeaways from that adventure out to Lapeer? You know, those helmets aren't as uncomfortable as they look. <laughs> It's true. Yeah. No, it was, you know, it was really impressive. It's something that we talked about that I've wanted to do ever since we started talking about this project. It's just, it's a physical manifestation of a lot of this concept. We talk about, you know, renewable energy. We talk about trying to decarbonize the, you know, the power grid for the U.S. And this is how it gets done. It's big investments with, you know, upfront capital from heavy users, consistent users like, industrial manufacturers, <laughs> Michigan is automakers, and that's how you jumpstart this process. And then it's real. 
It was really impressive. Yeah. For me, you know, just standing in 250 acres of solar panels was just really impressive, as you said. And then to also hear Brian say that the new projects are two to four times larger and each and every single solar panel is that much more efficient now than it was when they originally built this one. Uh, It really highlights just the vast scale at which they're building this out and how quickly uh, they're doing it. But also, even though that's the case, Brian still was was very clear, we are going at this as fast as we can, but we have a long way to go to meet the the requirements that we're you know putting down on paper right now with these large manufacturers and also what the state is requiring them to do for just the grid in general. You know, and the other thing that was really interesting to me, Jamie, and I'm interested what you thought of this. The fact that DTE is at the table with all of these investment talks, you know, we've talked about this for the better part of the last year after the Inflation Reduction Act passed and this wave of investment that's coming in about, you know, battery plants and things like that. And, you know, it, it just sort of occurred to me while we were there. I wonder if, if DTE is talking you know, with these folks about why Michigan is a good place to put their battery plant or their new manufacturing facility. And he was very clear, you know, every single week they're having these conversations. I thought that was really interesting. Well, the utilities are a crucial enabler of the change that is being brought about in this economy, you know, and you can't change how the vehicles are powered. You can't change how the factories are powered. uh, You can't change the way homes are powered without really coordinated planning between the utilities. You know, mostly these are regulated, investor-owned utilities. You know, they need really to be in lockstep with the big players like Ford and GM and Stellantis in a place like Michigan with their whoever the big industrial players are all throughout the country. That's right. Well, when we come back, we're going to hear more about this relationship, and this time from the perspective of an automaker, Ford's Chief Sustainability, Environment, and Safety Officer, Bob Holycross, joins us next on Driving to Zero. Hyundai's pledge to reduce carbon emissions across its entire business goes further than just efforts to boost electrification and hydrogen technology in vehicles. By working across the entire value chain to improve manufacturing processes, transitioning factories to renewable energy, and supporting suppliers, Hyundai's goal is to be end-to-end carbon neutral, from production to operation. Because Hyundai's overall competitiveness starts with outstanding parts provided by its partners, the company is supporting suppliers in many ways to help them improve their capabilities and competitiveness and work towards carbon neutrality. Hyundai works with its supplier partners to monitor and offset emissions, use recycled and certified biomaterials, conduct life cycle assessments, and provide education and best practices. Hyundai is committed to building a better world for tomorrow and bringing its partners along for the journey. Learn more at HyundaiUSA.com. The Daily Drive podcast brings you all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. I'm Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. We give you all the top stories each weekday in interviews with industry leaders like this conversation with GM President Mark Royce. We can deliver anything we want, and we will. And it depends on what our customers want, and it'll only get better over time. Listen and subscribe to Daily Drive at autonews.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
This is Driving to Zero. I'm Jake Neer with Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters. Jamie, we just talked with Brian Kelka of DTE about what it's doing, and we we touched on this big historic deal that DTE reached with Ford last year to buy clean energy. Uh, How does that sort of fit into Ford's trajectory as an automaker into this uh, carbon reduction landscape? Yeah, it's interesting, right? We started earlier in the series talking about the Ford Rouge complex and what a sort of industrial marvel it was, but how it really highlighted uh, and, and exposed a lot of the environmental costs of automaking. Uh, when I first got to Detroit in late 2000, you know, one of the first stories I got to report was about Ford's restoration project at the Rouge. You know, that's the one where they added the living roof and brought in all these native uh, grasses to try to take the toxins out of the soil. It really uh, set Ford in a, in a direction, led, of course, by Bill Ford. And now we see this sort of, you know, next stage as they're bringing out more EVs and building out their hybrid business and also trying to make sure they can power those factories cleanly and with renewable energy. And someone who's been there for a lot of this sort of modern journey for Ford into that new trajectory is Bob Holycross. He is Ford's sustainability, environment, and safety officer. And we had a chance to talk to him from his perspective about this deal with DTE and sort of Ford's broader environmental targets. Our sustainability journey and our goal to reach carbon neutrality by by 2050 has has been uh, a journey we've been on for some time. This isn't new for us. Um, as we looked at uh, where the climate science was going and and recognized uh, the Paris Climate Accord and the necessary emissions reduction to, you know, initially get on the the two degree Celsius path and and now the one one and a half degree path, that we were going to have to start moving in the near term and and not just look at this as a long term uh, trajectory. And so our strategy has been based in the science, and it revolves around, obviously, the primary sources of emissions for both our vehicles, our facilities, and our supply chain. And we have set targets, very specific targets, uh, year over year in those areas, primarily in our vehicles, because that's the most significant source, but also in our facilities as well. And we've had those endorsed by the Science-Based Targets Initiative to make sure we're looking at this the right way and consistent with industry practices. And we're really proud because just this past year, we published our, I believe it was our 23rd annual report. Um, We used to call it just our sustainability report, but it's now an integrated uh, sustainability and, and financial report, recognizing that all aspects of the journey we're on tie into uh, the business as a whole. So the focus on what we're doing right now with our transition to electrification is obviously going to be a very significant part of that journey. But we also recognize for what we call the upstream emissions or full life cycle emissions, we have to continually invest in our facilities and we have to partner with our supply chain uh, to make sure uh, everything comes together so we truly get to zero. Talk about the role that utilities are playing in, in everything that you just said. Well, part of our ambition and, and actually our, our targets uh, involve you know, how we power our facilities, because uh, that obviously represents a significant source of energy consumption and, and, and our emissions. So 
early on, we set a goal by 2035 to have 100% of our facilities powered by 100% carbon-free electricity. Uh, and we were really excited to partner with, with DTE last year on what uh, was the largest single power purchase agreement of solar uh, power uh, ever. And so that becomes a significant portion of our strategy here. And what it's going to allow us to do was a 650 megawatt power purchase is essentially have all of our facilities in the state of Michigan, all of our plants and other facilities, essentially powered by the equivalent of 100% carbon-free electricity uh, by 2025. So, uh, you know, 10 years earlier than our, our broader ambition. And, you know, our strategy in doing this, not just in Michigan, but elsewhere, is to do these partnerships with utilities where we do our business so that the, it benefits the local community as well. This isn't about, you know, trying to purchase credits in some, you know, remote location and, and use it as an offsetting mechanism. We, our strategy around sustainability and reducing our carbon footprint is about direct abatement to the full extent possible, and then where we depend on our supply chain or utilities to do those partnerships uh, locally. So it not only benefits Ford's operations, but the communities where we do business. So in this case, with the agreement uh, we reached with DTE last year, that means thousands of jobs locally for our utility partners. Uh, it's a long-term commitment in terms of what it means for the grid and, and power in Michigan. DTE will will work to install uh, those solar arrays, um, but it's a it's a significant investment from from our standpoint. Seventy million dollars a year for twenty five years, one point seven billion total by the end of twenty fifty. So as we continue to work towards our full goal of twenty thirty five, these are the types of partnerships we're going to continue to pursue, and and we're proud of the way we're doing it. Not just uh, get to the numbers, but but partner with. Uh, the local communities and our, our partners uh, in places where we do business. 2025 is right around the corner. Uh, how are things looking in terms of hitting that 2025 target? We, we feel real good about it. I mean, the 2025 target for just the state of Michigan is on track, uh, largely supported by that, that uh, solar purchase agreement from last year. But we already have many of our facilities, um, both in Ohio and New York and Mexico and other places, that will be sourced uh, or have been sourced with 100% carbon-free electricity as of 2022. So this journey is also not new. It's one that we've been on. The agreement last year was, you know, as I mentioned, the single largest purchase, and that allowed us to secure, as I said, enough for the full state of Michigan. But obviously, as you think about some of our footprint expansion in Tennessee and Kentucky and other places, we will have similar opportunities to partner with local utilities and others to provide low carbon or zero uh, carbon electricity, and even the opportunities for other uh, low carbon uh, power sources, whether it's geothermal, uh, hydro, and, and others, uh, based on you know where our operations are. So we're we're real positive and and feel we're 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 ahead of the game. Does it cost Ford more to have? A clean energy supply. Well, it, in a lot of cases, it 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 works out to to be cost neutral, making the long term investment so that the the returns you know pay back over over that time. So yes, for for the utilities, they need they need the long term uh, agreement to you know put the capital into 
you know, the hardware uh, and infrastructure development of solar and, you know, grid enhancements and other things that, that come with these types of agreements. And uh, for us, it's not only an opportunity in, in terms of reaching our carbon neutrality goals, but it also helps uh, with this overall area of building grid resiliency. And so when we think about more renewables coming online and it's happening throughout the country in some places faster than others, it's giving those signals for you know further grid infrastructure development to help build that resiliency. And also with the technology available on electrified vehicles and you know our industry leading technology on the F-150 Lightning to be able to you know use vehicles as an energy storage device and return power to homes or other sites, work sites and other things in, in times of either uh, power outages or also just in general to be able to return power back to the grid. Uh, in times of you know higher demand, but again, the partnerships are key to be able to know uh, exactly you know how many vehicles are going to come online by when and, and what type of capability are they going to have. So we're we're proud to be partnering with uh, with others like Duke Energy and, and Pacific Gas and Electric to demonstrate these vehicle to grid technologies. We're seeing uh, adoption uh, for retail customers as as well as as, as they're just getting on online with uh, this technology. So it, that's the benefit of these carbon neutrality or zero emission strategies when it can have all these other benefits even beyond the environmental impact for you know economic development, jobs, and you know benefits for consumers, not only in terms of lowering their operating costs, but maybe even an opportunity to do their part in, in helping you know strengthen the resiliency of the grid. Yeah, yeah it really gets at the whole systemic change, you know, to the economy, to the industry that you can't just change the cars, you have to change how they're fueled and you, and you want to change how the, how the factories are powered. I mean, it just, it is such a, a comprehensive thing having, as like you said, having those partnerships allows you to influence and be connected to the whole change of process. It, it does. And, you know, with electrification in particular and, you know, the manufacturing processes and the whole life cycle of developing electric vehicles, um, there's significant opportunity here. And there's a lot of dialogue out there about, you know, the true environmental impact of an electric vehicle versus an internal combustion engine vehicle, you know, other other comparisons. And, you know, I like to think of it as, you know, we want to have information and, and, and good debate, but there's also a lot of myths, I think, that come along with some of the aspects that, that get discussed here. So we, we do know when it comes to manufacturing batteries, that there, it, it, it is more energy intensive than uh, just, you know, manufacturing an internal combustion engine. But that's why the importance of having these advanced technologies for, you know, zero carbon electricity other uh, low-carbon power solutions, the ability to partner with suppliers on, uh, you know, the use of renewable materials and lighter weight materials and batteries. All this has to come together because we know the most significant benefit of electric vehicles is when they are on the road and they have zero emissions. And we know from a transportation perspective, that is the most significant source of transportation emissions in the atmosphere is when vehicles are on the road. So yes, there are some challenges in terms of the development of batteries and the production, but that just further drives innovation in the right direction. And we're seeing that 
And we know once these vehicles are on the road, whether it's, you know, 5,000 miles, 10,000, certainly as you get above 15 or 20, the, the payback on the environment is, is much more significant than uh, traditional, the emissions from traditional vehicles. You mentioned, you know, the myths against, you know, electrification and against decarbonization. If you put your finger on, on one in particular, are there, is there one in particular that is sort of the most egregious uh, to you that you feel like you hear the most and are constantly having to bat down in places like Washington and Detroit? <laughs> I, I think two of the things that that kind of get at me just for as long as I've been in, in this arena is, is one, this whole notion of, you know, these vehicles are going to shut down the grid and look at all the issues we have right now. And, you know, to, to realistically think of a scenario where, electric vehicles uh, put so much demand on on the grid to cause some, you know, significant shutdown implies that, you know, all these vehicles are charging at the same time or they don't have the capabilities that that they do today because of the software systems on them to to charge in a smart fashion, utilize off-peak charging, have vehicles that are essentially our energy storage devices in and of themselves and, and being able to to utilize those back to the grid in, in during peak time. So, you know, of course there's challenges with with the grid and resiliency. And that's why, you know, policy initiatives like the infrastructure bill and other things, we, we need to make those improvements anyway before we we we, we make this transition fully. But I, I think it presents an opportunity to do that. The other one, and it's it's not so much a myth as it is the notion of you know the range of vehicles and charging capability availability i think the traditional comparisons want to be around the number of you know gas stations to the number of you know retail charging facilities uh, superchargers fast chargers if you will and recognizing that's going to be a different model we in some respects we like to say there's a ga- there's you know the equivalent of a, of a of a mini gas station in every home uh, you know, these vehicles can plug in. But of course, you know, not everybody has the same accommodations to have, you know, home charging, multi-unit dwellings, other, you know, accommodations, more rural applications. But I think what where we're demonstrating a lot of the capability, especially on the commercial vehicle side in our Ford Pro business is we can provide unique charging solutions, whether it's in depots or uh, small businesses, you know, fleets of vehicles that return to the same you know, location. So yes, there's a real narrative out there about range, you know, range capability. But I think what we're going to find is the more customers experience these, they're going to, they're going to recognize they may not, may not want to spend as, as much money to have that extra charging or uh, battery capacity because they don't need it. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're plugging in every day and, and if uh, they can, you know, increase the efficiency of their vehicle, cause they can utilize a smaller battery they're going to choose that. So those are just a couple, but, uh, you know, as, as we, we move beyond the early adopters into, you know, the early majority as, as some here like to say, we, we know this, this conversation is going to have to, uh, to happen at a, an entirely different level. Bob, I wanted to go back to the, uh, agreements with DTE and other utilities and the mechanics of that. We, we got a chance, uh, Jamie and I to tour, uh, DTE's Lapeer Solar Park. We talked with Brian Kelka over there who explained that DTE isn't guaranteeing that the electrons that are, that are coming from the solar fields are going to your factories. It's, it's uh, that you get certificates uh, showing that you've uh, contributed to the program. So this, this falls into the, the offset category, correct? 
Well, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it in the same category as general offsets, and that's that's a real important point for us. So, you know, initially, obviously, the the solar arrays have to be developed to start producing uh, the capacity in general. And and you're right. I mean, to be able to say, hey, is every electron coming from you know the solar field and whether it's Lapeer or you know any other location is are those electrons directly running into your your facilities um, that th- obviously the energies come uh, into the grid from a lot of different sources, but that's why we believe it's so critical, and we believe actually you know differentiates us maybe from others to do that locally, so that you know the highest likely scenario, especially when the the capacity for you know a six hundred and fifty megawatt supply is is uh, constructed. Inevitably, uh, that's that is what goes in directly into our facilities. And in, in addition to drawing on the other renewable sources, so yeah. And when we talk about numbers like this, you know, the, the equivalent of powering you know three hundred thousand or, or more homes, enough as we say to power uh, the equivalent of all of our facilities in the state of Michigan. You know, as we move uh, more into the future, and and these installations are in place, inevitably that that's exactly where it goes. But I, when we talk about offsets or, or credits, I tend to think of that more of, you know, are you, 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 are you buying your way out of something in order to continue, you know, emitting uh, higher carbon uh, in, in some other part of the, the country or, or the world? And look, we don't, we, we don't want to discount the benefits of, you know, carbon reduction projects in, in any capacity, but they have to be credible. They have to be durable in terms of actually you know, making the return uh, over time for whatever it is they have to do. And so we are very thoughtful when it comes to these power purchase agreements to, to do them locally. And in inst- instances where, you know, as we continue on this journey to true zero, we, we don't have the options for direct abatement of those last few, you know, hydrocarbons, then, you know, what are the right partnerships to have carbon reduction projects that benefit local communities and, and areas where, Uh, we do business. So Jamie, I'm really curious, what do you make of Bob's assertion that these certificates that Ford gets from DTE aren't the same as carbon offsets because they're more local and, you know, ideally some of that energy, theoretically at least, makes its way to Ford's facilities? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fundamentally it's sort of a math problem. If there was no other drain on the grid, Uh, these companies would ultimately be using only renewable energy because they would have installed all that they need and then some. The thing is, that is not an efficient way to run an electrical grid for a major city like Detroit and a big state like Michigan. So it has to be a blend until we get the rest of it there. But this is a really important part of jumpstarting it. To the extent that it is an offset, it's a lot more direct than other offsets we might think of, you know, planting trees in the Amazon, you know, not that that's not a good thing, but it's so remote and the impact and the, uh, the offset is not tightly connected. Whereas this is the same grid, not only the same grid that, you know, Ford, GM, and Stellantis run their plants on, it's the same grid that their employees pull their energy off for their homes and that their customers use to power their cars. So it is all a very complicated intertwined system. This is the thing about listening to a podcast like this. You want the clearer answers, right? And then all we give you is more complexity. <laughs> but it's like, you know, the it, it gets into this question, you know, when you start researching carbon neutrality like we have for this project, one of the first fundamental questions is, 
offsets good, offsets bad. And, you know, it's sort of this this perspective. In this case, it really brings up the, the more nuanced idea that not all offsets are created equal. Exactly. And, and learning how this works, two things really have stuck with me, you know, right along these lines. On one hand, since that energy isn't going directly to automakers' facilities, you could really think of this whole relationship as the auto industry and other industries that are participating in programs like this, subsidizing or paying for this broader effort to decarbonize the grid, as you said earlier, sort of uh, jumpstarting it. You know, it's not just the industry's own footprint. It's, you know, helping to pay to cut all of our footprints, whether you're a homeowner or a small business owner, uh, and make the entire grid more green. But on the flip side, it also means that, again, from a very practical perspective, these auto plants can't really truly say that they're only using clean energy in their plants until the entire grid is net zero. DTE says they want to be net zero by 2050. That sort of coincides with a lot of the automakers' goals as well, but it's still this huge, massive lift. We're not really anywhere near that yet. We're still burning coal. We're still burning gas. Uh, so it's, it is it is a long road ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, it's almost a 30-year mortgage. I mean, it's a long, <laughs> it is a long path. Yeah. There's a, it takes a long time. Uh, but having these automakers making these investments, I do think it jumpstarts the process. And it gets, as you said, from the very opening of this series, the transportation, the energy production, the manufacturing, these all intersect with the auto industry. And it's none is discrete unto itself. They're all intertwined and it's an interesting road and a long road to go. So that begs the question, where does that leave us after this? And how do we get to the point where everyone is pulling in that unified direction? And maybe that's where you might argue we need government to play a big role. And that is what we'll talk about on the next episode of Driving to Zero. This is the first time since I've been working on these issues where the government is close to the same place as the car companies when it comes to address climate change and reducing emissions. Driving to Zero is a podcast from Automotive News, original music and sound design by Sam Bobian. We got additional help from Kellen Walker and Alicia Anderson. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Jamie Butters. We'd really love it if you give us a like, a review, and follow the podcast to make sure you catch the next episode of Driving to Zero.